Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 94 with... Joseph Makos and... Joseph Bievenet. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. All right, so we are back with yet another Skype interview. We've got my old friend George Sanchez up in Chicago joining us tonight. A great poet, George. How are you doing tonight? Uh, I'm I'm staying warm. You know, Stay- I'm uh, I'm doing all right, and uh, it's uh, I, I don't know what it's like down in Louisiana, but I, I got to think it's a little bit warmer. It's than where quite, I am yeah, right it's now. It's quite a bit warmer, huh? How how cold is it up there today? Uh, I think the the low today was negative uh, fifteen Fahrenheit with uh, wind chills around twenty five below, and I think tomorrow around seven a.m. they're supposed to get negative twenty eight wind chill. Jesus so Christ! It's it, this. These are the days when I think uh, why why would anyone live here? Why why does this city exist? here if it gets this cold but so bleak but it's okay I, yeah it's, it's kind of bleak but uh you know I, I i don't live outside so so i'm, I'm cozy where i am fortunately fortunately you still have that place where you, get, you have that nice view of the lake yeah yeah we uh the, the the lake is just starting to freeze the lake is is really big and deep and so it doesn't freeze very quickly but but yeah i can I can see the the lake every morning and the sunset every evening. So the view is pretty pretty nice. I gotta say. Well, Not too yeah, bad. You just got just got to put up with some rough winters. Yeah, the the winter is the worst part. But you know, only sixty days till spring. They tell me. So. <laughs> wow. Well, that's encouraging. We'll make it. We'll make it. So, George, what's been on your poetry mind lately? Uh, well, you know, I've I've been working on a you know on a on a collection of poems and a manuscript for I guess it's close to three and a half four years now. And uh, one of the things that happened, not by design, it just kind of kind of emanated from the poems, was that I started writing these poems that were, you know. Two stanzas, always the same length each stanza. Mm-hmm. You know, so if it was six lines, six lines, three lines, three lines. And I don't know why that worked. Um, you know, the poems were, were often about uh, lakes and canoeing. So part of me thought like, oh, it's like a reflection, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. But, but I don't know why that was working. And... You know, pretty recently in the last couple of months, you know, I've just started writing new stuff that has nothing to do with that project. And uh, I'm kind of constantly asking myself what, you know, what form is the form of poetry? Um, what, how, how does a poet uh, decide, yeah, you know, decide how, form to- you know, and I mean, because you know, while, you know, I'm, I, I know all about, 
you know, traditional forms of poetry and, and I know different, you know, forms that, that historically people have used. In the last few months, I've really just been fascinated by the question of, you know, why why this like stanza, why not? You know, is it a rhetorical move? Is it a musical move? And, uh, you know, I, I'm, it's something that I'm constantly thinking about now whenever I either write a poem or, or read a poem. And I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have any good answers, but um, it's something that I keep turning over in my mind. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you brought up some of the things that probably must go into it, right? But, but I guess what's hard is it's a, such a complex combination of those things, right? Whether you're thinking yeah, about I mean, the sound or the yeah, yeah, and 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 part of me always wants to make you know the the structural parts of the poem. You know, not just useful or, or or working in the poem as itself, but you know, somehow meaningful. And when when I really start thinking about it, I kind of become a little bit anxious that it's all, you know, it, it becomes a little bit um, arbitrary. You know, and I don't, I don't even. It's like it's like when you say a word so many times that it starts to sound weird, like it doesn't even mean what it used to mean anymore. And uh, it's kind of it's kind of the, the 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 land I've been inhabiting in terms of my poetry thinking. Do you think that's a result of doing these ones that sound like they kind of had their form to them with the mirrored number of lines? Or I, th- I think it must. I think it must have something like that. I mean, about I don't know. About sixteen years ago, I was, you know, I, I was working a lot in traditional forms um even when the whole point was to break out of them you know to do something very strange uh like i you know i I wrote a few um sonnets that were metrical and they even rhymed but they were like interlaced they weren't 14 lines they were 28 lines and they were you know like two poems in one, you could read, you could read them as one 28 line poem or as two separate 14 line sonnets. And for a long time, I stopped thinking about them, but I think I was always somewhat curious about what form looks like today or why it looks like it does today, you know? Um, and, and I was kind of delighted for a while to be writing these fairly tidy poems that, you know, I there were a few other structural elements that that were almost always included, but it just felt nice to know that once I got to that kind of turning point in the poem, a kind of useful midpoint that I could just say, oh, well, if it was a five line or a six line or an eight line or a nine line stanza, now now I have a goal to shoot at. I need to wrap it up in nine lines or eight lines and um yeah well, that, that that's I'm, a real thing like having a the end in sight you kind of subconsciously know when you need to start turning things yeah i mean it's i mean i i, I can understand i can understand why you know poets traditionally you know enjoyed the use of form you know, just like I can understand why a, a musician, you know, yeah. of course, these are all 
related, you know, would, would want a kind of form to play on and off of and in. Um, but like, I, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a book by Bill Knott here mm-hmm. and like, there's this one poem. I'm going to read it. It's going to okay. take me about three seconds. <laughs> History, hope, ellipsis, goose step. Like what, like what just happened there? I mean, it's not even just like a one line stanza, you know, it's like a one line poem. I mean, it has two words in it, three, if you count the title, you know, and you know, how does that both undermine and build up, you know, what form is in poetry, you know, and it's, um, that's like, that's like the poets giving themselves permission, you know, in, in something like that. That's like, it's permission. Uh, it's, it's sort of like the Ezra Pound moment, you know, the, uh, the um, an apparition of faces of the crowd petals on a wet black bow. You know, a station in the metro. Yeah, it's just it's just a one. I mean, it, it could be arguably an Ars Poetica. It could be arguably a, a an American haiku. It could be arguably a, um, uh, a just a poet giving themselves permission. Yeah, I mean, I know you. I think I know what you mean with that um, because I, I think I remember reading about the compositional history of *In a Station of the Metro*, and I think it was a lot longer at one point. And then it just became um, that one little piece. Yeah, I mean, it's it was for if 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 I'm not conflating it with some other piece of poetic history, I think it was you know twenty some lines long in its longest draft and eventually got distilled to those two lines, you know, and, and, you know, given that example, you know, I mean, what, what, what do you think? It, is it possible that when we talk about poetry and structure and form is that, I mean, is form the minimum necessary well, the distillation go. I mean, if you're if it, it, you know, if you're working, if you're working in a sparse latitudes and longitudes, that's one place. Or are you working with larger pieces and then distilling it down? You know, because there's these different processes that we get into. So it's kind of like, you know, are you? Is it? Is it? Is it a? Is it a? Um, is it a serial work? You know, is it something that you're just kind of dropping into and peppering? The language down down to something like that, or is that like, is that a moment where the poet arrives at the perfect distillation and the perfect proof of a poem, and then you and then you and then you have the courage to walk away, and leave it, you know? Yeah. It's like at, at what point do you hit which which sort of a uh, finality? Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel like that's I mean what what kind of you're moving towards because I, you know, cause the way I was coming at this question of this idea had to do with, had to do with structure, you know? Um, and what I'm hearing you talk about is, is, is more of a compositional question, you know? Um, and for me, at least, I mean, that, that in some ways that's even more, that's even more confusing you know, uh, because when I, when I think about my compositional, you know, 
kind of tendencies, I mean, it's extremely exploratory, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, is, is the distillation happening subconsciously? You know, um, I'm just sort of I'm just sort of suggesting ways that the poet in which the poem that you just read could have arrived at that poem. Mm -hmm. Like that's 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 why I actually went into that the sort of process statements, because I was thinking to myself, well, who arrives at a poem like that? Do they is it is the poem written and then done or is it like is that the product of distillation? Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying, and and that's and and that's what's prompting my kind of musing, which is, you know, is, you know, when when we talk about that question, you know, is this how how does one arrive at uh, one a one line poem or uh, poems? Like I'm thinking of like Timothy Liu, you know, he has a lot of poetry out there, and so many of them are in these sort of one line stanzas, right? Where you have, you know, one line, double space break, one line, double space break, and it, and it goes on, you know, not a traditional kind of stanza or verse paragraph form. And, and, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, now that you mentioned those ideas about process, how, you know, how, which comes first, you know, and, and can we even know as poets, you know, what, what that process is, you know, because, because more and more when I sit down to write, I I feel like I have less of a sense of what, what my process really is as if I, I don't even know what's going to happen. And maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe that's the best thing, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of intrigued by this idea of form as process as well. You know, um, I mean, a poet finding his way. Sure, you can not know, not know what's going to happen, you know, but you can also have a system and a, and a structure for not knowing what's going to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. you can truly go into uh, go into the unknown unknowingly, and as a, as sort of that type of uh, chapel perilous poet. But I'm saying like, you can have a set of you know you can have a you can have a system you know you can have a thirty thirty two side die and roll <laughs> it and every one of the Every one of the numbers on the die is like a direction, you know, sure. that you can take. So, you know? but I guess you're so. But I guess George, what you're talking about is someone who's not imposing a structure, who's like trying to discover the appropriate structure to what they're writing. Yeah, that's. I mean, because I I feel like, um, you know, I've I've encountered you know, poets here and there, sometimes they were my teachers, who it seemed very clear that they were, I don't know if upset is the right word, or confused by a poem's seeming lack of predetermined or received form. And given that, given that I think most poets working in, 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 in English today, at least in the United States, don't seem to be working in those received forms like how do you how do you find those answers you know um you know and and it's it's it seems a little bit mysterious to me and but it is interesting right i mean i don't know now what you were saying started to make me think historically and 
most of the time in the past, poets did kind of have a formal tradition that they were working in. It's, it's still a pretty recent thing that there isn't some shared form on some level. Yeah, and, 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 and without that shared form, you know, where, you know, I, my, my son, he, he's not a poet, at least I don't think so. And, um, but, but he, but he does, he does play the trumpet and, you know, he really, he really likes jazz and, uh, you know, I was never a big jazz fan. You know, I always gravitated more to like the blues, you know, of course they're related, but, you know, I, I wonder, you know, the, the 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 trick with jazz from from my son educating me about it is that despite the improvis you know improvisational nature it, it's actually a very formally demanding oh yeah genre yeah. and to the to the to the audience i think that that's not always very evident you know you don't you're not unless you've played jazz or lived with a jazz musician you know, or, or really studied it, you know, you don't, you don't get those structures. You don't get what's going on. It seems very free form a lot of the time. And, you know, what if, what if, you know, American poets haven't really thought that much about the, the form that we're taking, you know, um, the way that jazz musicians say, yeah, there's an improvisational aspect to this. There's a uncertain exploratory element but there's also a structure that we're playing off of. And yeah, I, mean, I, I, I wonder I, if we're not always aware of what that structure we're playing off of is. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, but I think that depends on the poet too, right? I mean, I think you might be right if I'm like, but I don't know. It's, you don't, you don't, except for people that you've talked to, you don't know, are they imposing? Things can seem like they don't have a structure to them if you just read it, right? But unless you talk to someone about it, are they imposing some stricture on it that you don't even know about? You know? Right. I mean, because, because what part of what we're talking about now is the reality of scaffolding, Mm -hmm. right? That, you know, the scaffolding isn't the building. um, And the scaffolding is something that is central to its construction, but um, should become invisible you know, at some point it should be dismantled. Um, and I mean, I, I guess, you know, I, I guess I wonder what, like, for example, Joe, what, what kind of scaffolding do you use when you, when you construct a poem, when you write a poem or does it, does it vary or do do you have some sort of, it varies, but I think I, I mean, I like putting some, some, I mean, the things that I've been doing lately, I've been doing those for too long. Um, but they all begin with this. Uh, there's a stricture on syllables per line, and I know how many lines are going to be uh-huh. in the thing uh-huh. before I begin. It doesn't necessarily look like that at the end, like that chat book Nate published was all, that's how it began, but now it's all in weird visual format. Yeah. But it began with, you know, a syllable constriction per line. I knew I was writing for this many lines. But you would never know that. Right, right, just from looking at it. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know that that structure actually had any particular meaning other than it was just a, to have some 
some constraint to 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 begin the project in, right? Yeah. yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. I guess it depends on what type of house you're building, you know? What type of structure you're trying to build. The scaffolding's different, you know? Cuz you can you can just set up some ramps and sort of, you know, the scaffolding for smaller serial work, it's sort of it can be it can be like a replication system where you're like you build yourself this little box and then you just keep filling that box and then you have a sort of like the serial work or you sort of have a room in which more free form, long form things can happen. You know, field composition is kind of compact because you got to do it on the fly, whether you're using audio recording or a little notepad while you're traveling or something, you know. I mean, I think it's just sort of whatever system you're trying to, Work, work through that you can build something or capture a moment and then take a little bit of it away and then what, what you're left with is sort of a, a, clean, a clean piece or something that's usable but I guess, for a collection. Or well, something. a question for all of us, all three of us. Um, question for everyone. Do you, bag, do, you, do you think <laughs> that most poets do have some kind of personal constraints and strictures they're putting as they're writing things? Uh, or... Or, I mean, or what do you think the percentage is? How many people are doing that when they're What's writing? the percentage of poets that use that are constrained by their own scaffolding? Well, or like, yeah, are <laughs> creating some constraint for themselves when they're writing. Uh, I think, I think, I think, I think every, I think everything can be a constraint. You know, I mean. You might have you might you might be writing okay, your poems okay, in a big notebook saying, with crayons. Saying, you might be writing your your poems on that. your phone. I mean a formal constraint. A formal constraint. That is a formal constraint. No, so that's a medial constraint. A medial constraint. <laughs> that is. That's different. Are you, so you're saying like, because I mean, I mean, so are there some sort of new forms, new formalism? Are we talking about like how people <laughs> fall into a natural new formalism? I don't, I don't natural formalism. I'm not saying that there's. I'm just saying. Do you think most poets, or how what how many what percentage of them do you think, come up with some idea for themselves? Like I'm gonna write something, this many lines, or I'm gonna put this syllable constraint on something, or I'm gonna. What, what percentage are doing that? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, that's an interesting question because I, I think that the, you know, what you just described as like a medial constraint, you know, the question of medium is, is pretty interesting to me because I, you know, we've all seen, you know, uh, you know, these kinds of file papers, you know, like the, the, the drafts of, of poems that you know either show up in like facsimile versions and what's funny is that that doesn't actually exist for my for for most of my poems Mm -hmm. anymore you um you know i i would really really love it if i was the kind of poet who you know had an artifact after I wrote the poem, you know, um, you know, uh, because you know, you're just, that, that you're, all my poems started. Are you writing digitally or why, do, why is there no? 
that's that's why yeah, you know yeah. i mean you know i i write almost exclusively digitally um my handwriting is just atrocious um you know i don't it's not that i avoid writing things down by hand but i have i actually haven't found much to be gained by it so you know if if so so I guess what I'm musing on is that the medial constraint that you talked about, like crayon and a notebook, you know, it really is, it really is a formal constraint too, you know, because if my lines appear and disappear, evaporate and change without having static, you know, artifice to it, you know, the way that someone might type it on a typewriter, yeah. you know, um, no, it I mean, definitely that, 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 that yeah, has to have sure. a kind of cognitive change, right? A cognitive difference. Definitely. Right? But I, I would say just as, just a quick diagnosis about your bad handwriting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let me, let me just say what this one thing, um, if you, if you really, really attempted to find, like if you went into an art store and you spent like an hour like testing all the different pens out. I, I bet you might like more like brush pens. Just a hunch. Uh, but uh, if you well, went, why, if, why, if, why do you say that? I'm, I'm now, now I'm now I'm truly fascinated in this. Well, why? Uh, uh, so hold on, hold on here. So this is what I'm going to say. Go to an art store, okay. and. And and spend just no, spend just a little bit of money. George just spend a little bit of money. I'm, I'm asking you to spend George in an art store from nine a.m. To, <laughs> to I'm asking you to spend like playing with different. Yeah, bands. Joseph's <laughs> obsessively. Uh, yeah, obsessively. I'm asking you to spend maybe like like maybe if you can spend like maybe twenty five thirty bucks. Go to an art store and get like. Go and test out a bunch of pens and feel some pens that you really like. And you're like, wow, this is really nice. I like the feel of this pen on this paper. And, and then get, some, get yourself a big notebook, a large notebook, something that's bigger than like maybe something that's 18 by 24, as big as. And, and use those brush pens and that notebook and, and rediscover your handwriting. Wow. Uh, I, I wonder what my first grade teacher who, who really scarred me. Uh, when it came to like my printing, uh, you know, would say to that because because uh, I'm I'm definitely going to try it. Um, I'll I'll go for it. 18 by 24. That's that's a gigantic piece of paper. Or yeah, it could be it could be 12. But you could start 12 by 18. I think 18 by 24 really opens up the page. You know, it's like freedom of the page assignment. But the pens, yeah. I'm, and I'm not saying stick with the brush pens, but I'm saying uh, stick with something that's the scale. So if you're going to use brush pens, do 18 by 24. If you if you find that you like some other pens like gel pens or some other different pens that you like sure. to write with, then choose another size pad. You know, use newsprint or whatever. But find uh-huh. find a set of pens and then some paper that will match that. Because I'm telling you, I know so many people who who I I've been able to help with this exact thing, and ev- and and everyone's like, man, I just used to use like a blue ballpoint pen writing on like. Uh, line notebook paper and i'm like no like find yourself a nice pen and something nice to write on and it'll change the way that you practice your your writing wow you're, you're like the, the the dr phil of like palmer method you know cursive like that's 
I feel so much better about myself in my writing now. Like I haven't even done anything. Like I, I feel like there's hope for me, you know, because one of the, one of the things that I always thought about came to my handwriting was that, you know, I've got like the handwriting of a doctor and the income of a teacher. So it's like, uh, this is not good. Like, I should have nice writing. I should have nice writing, you know, at least, but I, I don't, but. But you just have to embrace the messiness of your writing too. Oh, uh oh, did we lose you all of a sudden? Weird. Whoa, we, oh. lo we lost you there for a while. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Microsoft decided that, uh, you know, or Skype decided that I I needed to uh, log off, apparently. It, so. didn't, it didn't like that you were talking so much about pens. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess Bill Gates, you know, heard about the conversation and said, no, 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 no. You, you need to write on computers. This, this is not... Uh, do you, also, do you have a uh, do you have a do you have a, like a, a voice to tech dictation uh, practice? Hell no. You should you should you should get up on that game too. So so dictation. Yeah, it'll, it'll also change your writing. So you you've been selling this a lot lately, Magos. Uh, have you been continuing to do that? Yeah. 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 Does so, it do, do you do you find that it really changes your you know your your work to to compose orally, I like, think. I, I mean, Wordsworth, a little bench in his backyard. No, I mean, I think it's there's something about walking. There's something about a natural breath of walking and composing in the rhythm of your walk and cadence and and your breath, like when you walk, like a normal walk. Like a like a saunter, like a like kind of a leisurely. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, is it, is it, you know, is it? No. Because I have a lot of different walks, to be honest. And, <laughs> and, and I used to, I used to walk a lot more, but, you know, now because of my, my, my work reality, you know, I, I drive a lot, you know, but I used to have lots of different, you know. Yeah, that's what you call walking it. speeds. That, what, gives what, what, a, I mean, that gives you a versatile tempo for your poems. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, just because, uh. You know, like there's there's that exciting, like you know, you clip your your bag a little tighter, and you're like, I'm running for the train. You know, <laughs> you know, advancing it. You know, but then there's that kind of, you know, I, I just poured myself a, you know, a, a whiskey, and I'm walking down to the, to the lake, kind of walk, which is extremely leisurely. You know, um, <laughs> and I'm I'm curious, I'm curious. Not now. This is, I mean, the, the whole talk about pens. And paper, and and now this idea of, you know, a kind of walk and talk, you know, dictation. I mean, not this is like, man, it's a. Uh, this this really opens up some possibilities for, for for experimentation. You know, here I am hunched over my laptop, you know, writing something, and well, I could be, you know, did inside you, dictating. Did you always mostly write on the laptop, or have you been? Was that like a shift that happened? That you used to write more on paper and then move to laptop. You know, I, I I've always had notebooks around, you know, and I find notebooks are great, but but for me, compositionally, a notebook is always either the kind of oh I just heard this fragment of language or oh yeah. I just thought of this or. I was reminded by of this quote, and it might end up being uh, a few words. It might end up being five 
words or yeah no like just kind of a, that, right, a little reliquary of yeah 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 or, or it ends up being like this you know automatic writing kind of thing you know where you know you get started on something and, yeah. and it just flows but it was never a kind of consistent practice you know ever you know it was always just kind of an opportunistic yeah but but I but you know that's I mean I definitely have those kinds of notebooks. I mean that's what I carry around with me all the time that are just these like collections of fragments of things that came to mind. But what I end up doing like part of my process is then I'll take those when I want to write something I have those close at hand and I might be pulling things out of those. But that's one kind of notebook, and then what I'll do is then I will actually write on the computer, but then I'll print that out, the first draft, and stick it into a different kind of notebook that I carry where I rewrite that and edit it by hand based off of the computer thing that I got off of those idea notebooks. Mm-hmm. If that yeah, makes like I, sense. But. Oh, oh, it makes total sense. I think that's the way most poets do it. You know, and yeah, I mean that that like that. I, I kind of want to get back to that. You know, um, I mean it, it 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 may it may be that it, now that I think about it, you know, we started talking about things like constraint and form, you know, and we segued into process. And now that I now that I kind of look back at the last you know, five or six years of not just writing, but the way writing interfaces my kind of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was often so kind of on the move all the time, you know, for, for a while there. And there was even a period where I don't think we even owned a printer, you know, we just, we just got rid of it because you know, we said, you know, what, how often do we really need to print anything, you know? And so we just didn't print, you know, and, you know, that coupled with the fact that I, I was always moving, you know, like if yeah. I was writing, it was because, you know, I, uh, I was, I was doing a lot of tutoring for, for a long period of time for about five years. So you're traveling um, back and forth all the time. Yeah. I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm going to school and then I'm heading to the, to the place where I would tutor and, you know, it was always just these kind of scraps of moments, you know, but, um, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, that's yet another interesting question about the way, you know, that our, that our, our kind of quotidian existences kind of exert unseen pressures and, and, sh- and, and shaping of our work, you know, like I always, For sure, yeah. I always think of those stories about like Williams, you know, writing poems between, you know, appointments in his medical practice. And, and, you know, the part of the, part of the reason potentially that his poems were shaped the way they were is that, you know, they were like on the backs of, you know, prescription pads or something. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, that's another, that's another thing that, 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 you know, just this conversation has had, has me thinking about is not only are we different people every day, but, you know, over a period of time, you know things that things that shape our lives shape our poetry and, and yeah. we don't we don't always give those forces a lot of thought maybe we shouldn't but well uh, it's almost impossible to though cuz like the more we keep talking about this like i mean we talked about 
how medium and process works into those things. But I mean, they're almost form is intertwined with so many other aspects of your writing. Right. I don't, I mean, it's, it's really hard to untangle it and look at it as a separate entity. How do you, you know, you know, how do you separate it from any of those things we're talking about? How do you separate it from whether a sound or something visual makes your decision of where your line breaks are and how that's going to work? There's just a lot of things converging there. Yeah, the what you just said reminded me of maybe the the most important thing that Dean Young taught me at least was I think it was the first I think I think it must have been the first day of of a workshop when he said content causes tension and tension causes form and you know that's that's one of those things that I I always think about and that I've been able or I hope I've been able to pass on to my students and you know th- and that now I'm just imagining me, that with like an as a diagram with like an ouroboros right yeah because <laughs> it's 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 like it, it it totally is like a serpent you know swallowing its tail because you know the the content causes some sort of tension, which yields the form. And then the form is thereby shaping the content, which again, just kind of cycles through. Um, And, and, and maybe we shouldn't be looking at the machinery, you know, Um, maybe, maybe it's good to have a lot of these things swimming, you know, under the, the boat of the, of the subconscious. But it's it's one of those things that I, I really am fascinated by is, is what are the constraints we're not even aware of that are shaping our poems, you know, and how can we and how can we swim against them, you know, or 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 play with them more consciously, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or drown in them or drown in them. Yeah. We might be kind of interesting, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I they're they're. Huh. they're there come times when, um, you know, in my writing life where, you know, I'll get kind of stuck or, or I'll feel like I'm not really doing what I want to be doing. And the, the, the mental image I always have is that I want to like stick a, 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 I want to put a stick of dynamite inside the poems and just blow them up. Not, not that I don't want them to exist, (laughs) But I just want to. I just want them to kind of explode. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know how how a writer does that, you know, is again, you know, I think it's kind of like an alchemical question. You know, it's a kind of question where you're like, what what is that formula that you're going after? What is that that thing you do to make the poem do that that particular thing? Yeah, but probably. For anyone who's any good, um, it doesn't matter to some extent. I mean, it's going to result in different things, but you're always dancing inside those constraints, right? If you're any good good at it, right? So in some ways, it is a little bit arbitrary, 
both the external factors, but also the chosen factors of what those constraints are. Yeah. And maybe that's okay. And it doesn't matter. Well, and you change your constraints all the time, right? Voluntarily and involuntarily. Yeah. Um, and you just roll with it. <laughs> Which is yeah, good. And, I mean, that's, I mean, absolutely. Like part of, I mean, what, what you're, what you're saying just now kind of brings me back to a lot of things that, I've been talking to is, you know, talking to my students about as a teacher, you know, which is that when, when you drill down deep, you know, when you really pay attention and you can look at some obscure tiny detail or you can pan out so that it's a really wide shot and in the end, you're getting the same information. You know, you're you're getting the same. You're getting the same understanding. You know. Um, yeah, it just is in a different scale. It means slightly different things because of the angle that you're looking at it from. But sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think also my brain has has been infected uh, a little bit by a lot of reading in. Um, in a lot of reading in physics yeah, yeah. Uh, that I've been doing where it's just, it's just kind of mind blowing, you know, the way like the, 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 the advancements in like theoretical physics lately and the understanding of the way the, the world works, you know, and yeah, I mean, it's interesting and, reading that, but I can't, it's half of it. It's getting to the point where even when you've got someone explaining it to you, yeah, it's hard to understand. Oh, it's super hard to understand, but 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 because it's so hard to understand, I find it to be such fruitful ground for poetry. Oh, absolutely, know? yeah. Because yeah. it's so bizarre. Like I was telling my students the other day about something I read that because time slows down for anything moving at or near the speed of light, as far as all the particles of light that are entering your eyes right now and that are zooming around us, the Big Bang just happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and, and, and I, I find those just bizarre, you know, scientific conclusions as possibly the most poetic things that I can, you know, even think of, you know, I mean... Imagine, imagine being a particle of light existing for 14 billion years, and as far as you know, no time has passed. Yeah. Like, damn. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, you know, I think of these physicists, you know, spending all this time learning calculus and, and doing it all these equations. It does seem like it's attributing and, some sort of consciousness to the light, but maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm not a physicist. I mean, I, for me, it's all just you know, yeah. being a kind of dilettante, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. appreciator. That's interesting. And and what's what's amazing to me is that how, you know, how, we 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 generally don't think of mathematics or science as being particularly poetic. It might be elegant in certain ways, but it's not poetic. And yet, um, you know, again, visiting this question of like uh, composition and process, yeah. you know, lately. I've really been kind of touched by the, the kind of weirdly, um, not just poetic, but, but even 
like the the weirdly um I'm looking for the right word uh you know kind of sweet way that that scientists sometimes talk about the the very the very uh, edges of understanding you know but, yeah the, but uh, yeah no i mean i i totally agree but i think of course science is poetic that's you know probably the only two things poets you pay attention to is the natural world in mm. personal experience but then and then in the scientific way of measuring it too right like that's the thing that's what, how what do you, you mean? Think, that's how you figure out how stuff works, just observing the natural world, right? Sure. And yeah, yeah, well, I mean, I know at physics at that point, you're observing things that you can't perceive in any way other than math, but that's all right, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and part of me wonders, like, that's, you know, as, as a poet, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how different that is from the way poets operate, you know? I mean... <laughs> Yeah, we're not we're not we're not shaping our poems. Even that's not true. We are shaping our poems mathematically a lot of the time. But yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, I I, I think I, again, I think that's that's what really makes me just kind of step back and and be kind of transfixed by both the 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 amazing answers and the lack of answers. You know that that these kinds of speculations. Absolutely, you know, yeah. come up, you know, you know, arrive at, and, and you know, in some, in, in some of my, you know, recent work that I've been working on, you know, there's there's been a lot of of that kind of these these kinds of scientific references, and um, you got you got you, know, you got one you can read for us. Uh, yeah. So one of these poems is called um, "The Algebra of Grief," and then. There's a kind of companion poem um, that is called The Trigonometries of Joy. And um, we'll, I, I guess it's always better to start with something, hap something sad and end happy. Um, so we'll, we'll go in that order. Do it, um, do it the opposite order. Oh, damn it. Okay. Um, okay so we're going to start, start happy-ish. Uh, and, and again, these, these are some of those poems that I was telling you previously that have these, these are the kind of, yeah, it has yeah. this kind of symmetrical structure, uh, trigonometries of joy. When the first step is to find the intercept of line and access next is always slope, but what of life's supple erratic curve passing through the origin, a wave like the ripples of a lake no longer still, wind whipped once but now calming, the water slack in its always bending. When the slope is infinite, there is no passing it, like a boat stonewalled by wind, its side a sail, the oars struggling just to hold a bearing, and if zero, no movement, simply a single stable range over infinite domain. But find the slope of ever-changing curve of the sines and cosines of our lively angles and triangles, and truth becomes a wobbly, infinite bliss. Hmm. So, so that—that's, I, I guess, that's happy. Um, kind of, but now, now the whole time I was listening to you read that, 
because of our previous conversation, I was trying to imagine what that poem would look like on the page. Those... Yeah, I as I was reading it, I, I I I I knew you were going to be fair. Um, as I was reading it, I I I, I tried to be as uh, you know inconclusive as possible. Um, you know, because I, I didn't want the the the, the curiosity oh, yes, about yeah. the about the form <laughs> to take over. So here's the other one: All right. the algebra the algebra of grief. How can a map of points uncountable reduce to a point with two coordinates, here and now? The solution of our two equations, the one point we both share. Solved by substitution, the part of one placed in the other, or elimination, where variables cancel to yield the other's value. No empty set is quite so null. Numbered roads, no pride here. All humility. What if skew? What if parallel? If we're two lines that will never cross, we're like infinite sets of lines that rise and run with no knowledge of the others, yet spanning endless values and points. But we are not, we will never be. But now our common is empty circle, domains and ranges null, solutions. See that's fucking sad. Like that's that's not that's not happy. See that's 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 why I wanted to read it the other way. And I was like, man, this is a it's a downer. Yeah, I, I like it ending on the downer note, but um, uh, well, that, that's I mean, it's your it's I mean, <laughs> but uh, so it's your show. What what? So you said you were looking at the science thing. You find you were finding that poetic, but those seem like more math than science. What what was Where's that all coming from? The math stuff? Yeah. Um, I I mean, for me, math and science are just kind of, you know, two well, yeah, parts. They're of intertwined, of course, but yeah. They're the same thing. Um, well, those seem like a lot of very much very ma- yeah, these part are, of it. Yeah, there, there's another poem that I wish I could, I wish I could read to you, but... Um, it's it's just like hopelessly unfinished. Uh, I, I I don't know if it will ever kind of be finished, but um, and it's called uh, quantum geometries, mm-hmm. where where that there the science really like is really heavy, you know, about these crazy you know theoretical physics concepts. But um, I, I want to say about five or six years ago. I kind of re-fell in love with math um, for reasons that are not completely clear to me where um, I, I just started, you know, it's, it's like, it's, it's like a, it's like a, a joke without a punchline about an English teacher who, you know, just starts doing math for fun, you know, well, yeah, and, you had to start and, exploring those unexplored paths at some point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I just, oh, what and if I, just started, I would have been a scientist instead of a poet? Yeah, and well, I just sometimes there's a late year. calling in life. Sometimes there's a late calling. I, you know, I, I would actually welcome being a mathematician, but um, but I, I just started playing with math, and man, matrices still eat my lunch uh, every oh, time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I can't. Like, they, they're they're the most counterintuitive thing ever. Like, I you know, and 
that's that's when my second life as a mathematician ended. You know, when yeah, I started. I, I agree. That's where math always math. Lo- math loses me at that point. I'm like, I what? I can't follow you yeah. anymore on this. But yeah, yeah. like, like <laughs> it's 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 like it's like a really bad speed bump. You know, because because like I can actually understand some things that are technically, I guess, more advanced than matrices. But that one thing, it's just like, what is going on here? You know, I'm glad that people use it to encrypt my credit card numbers or whatever. But I mean, well, there's a certain point, and that's fine. I mean, you can still do it, I guess. But it stops making sense to me anymore, and then I'm just memorizing yeah. things, and then that doesn't work as well. No, no, it's not that kind of deep plunge of you know understanding where you where you see something and you're like, man, yeah. Yeah. It's really well, you don't understand sense. how it works, really, right? You're just you're like, okay, they told me that's what to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm just confused, and I'm 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 sure that this is right. I guess question mark, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with it. Well, um, no, I mean, I think that was some interesting stuff. Thinking about form and all of that, and thank yeah. you for sharing those poems. Um, are is there? Do you have anything coming up? Do you have any publications, readings, anything coming in the future? Uh, I do. I, I have a reading coming up on February 11th here in Chicago. Nice. Um, so it's going to be uh, me and uh, several other uh, Latino writers. Um, and it's going to be let me, let me pull up a an address um it's volumes book cafe in wicker park here in chicago so well okay that's great um thank you so much for joining us today yeah thanks George. for coming on the show it's been it was a great great conversation kind of a, a, a walk so to speak a meander a planned meander planned meander <laughs> thank you for having me yeah thank you and everybody yeah. out there Thank you all for joining us again this week, and we'll see you again next week with No Good Poetry. Yep. <laughs>